Welcome back to Sports and Life with Tremaine. This is episode 10, live from Chicago. We're recording on Father's Day. This podcast will be aired on Tuesday, whatever that date is. Um, I'd like to welcome two of my best friends in the world to the pod. We're here in Chicago celebrating nine years of real friendship. All started back to the days with Dr. Sham Leffel. We're going to talk strictly about education this um, pod. Um, we're going to talk about our individual educational journeys, and then we're going to talk about where we've been since then, and some, maybe some tips to um, navigate the educational system. So I'd like to introduce first Keenan Stevenson. Um, Keenan, you can introduce yourself in a minute, but um, Keenan is from the region, East Chicago, Indiana. Um, went to high school in um, Maryville. Then came down to Indiana State in 2008, the 12. And then you got Big Bro B over here, Braylon Bathia. Some of y'all probably like, oh, where Braylon been? He ain't got Facebook. Yeah, he still don't have Facebook. <laughs> um, he went to Indiana State at 07 to 11. And he is um, from Elkhart. So we're all visiting here. We'll tell you what we're visiting from and all that good stuff, but um, we're going to go and start with actually big bro, um, Braylon, talk about your educational journey and kind of how you got here to this point. Let's see, my educational journey, um, as Tremaine mentioned, I'm from Elkhart, Indiana. High school was, for me, it was basically a place where I knew I could get two meals a day. Um, Education wasn't like a super priority after my freshman year because I totally bombed that shit. Um, middle school, I did great, so I'm like, yo, two is too easy. I want to challenge myself, and I ended up signing up for AP courses in ninth grade. And upon like tackling those courses, like I did horrible. Like, when I say horrible, I'm talking about D's and F. I got kicked off the football team and I come home one day and the coach is sitting at my table and begging my mom for me to get tutoring so I can um, get back on the team. <clears throat> but nevertheless, um, it, it, was, it, it was a journey. It, it seriously has been a journey. From high school, you know, I ran into a couple of hiccups with the law and put myself in an unfavorable position. But nonetheless, like it was, I had an epiphany, like literally when I was in 11th grade, that everybody around me wasn't doing much. So I needed to figure out a way to get out. And I don't know what out was or where, um, but I just knew I needed an out. Um, it wasn't until I got the opportunity um, through probation to actually apply for colleges uh, where it wouldn't charge my mother um, like 50 to 60 dollars per application but given I still had what they call an Indiana 21st century scholar I had to go to school in Indiana um, in order to get the state uh, state tuition waived. so I applied to roughly 16, 17 colleges um, got denied by like 15 of those two accepted me both on conditional basis those conditional basis was that, you know, basically your first semester would be like that trial semester to see if you 
they have um, essentially the competence to be in college. And I was able to prove them wrong. Literally, because after like my all well, all four years, I never got below a 3.2 GPA. So that's just from high school to the graduate, well, not even graduate school, excuse me, to undergrad, uh, where I met Jermaine and Keenan. But the educational journey definitely has different hoops that people have to go through, excuse me, to get to where they want to be. Uh, but nonetheless, I feel like it creates perseverance for some people because at several points of time, people don't know what adversity is until you're actually faced with something that's bigger than what you've been going through in your neighborhood or going through within your section or your hood, um, like actual hoops that impede you from, from being a productive citizen. I'm going to have a hard time following up Brayden's great story, but uh, uh, nevertheless, I sat in high school, <clears throat> I never really cared about anything, I'm just like, I'm going to chill, and I'm going to live, and I'm going to go, and something's going to happen good, and so, with that mentality, you meet a lot of resistance from people, they say, oh, you don't care about anything, you're not going to be anything, and I said, I already know I'm going to be something, so I never really had the opportunity, I never really thought about trying to prove people wrong. I've always been the type of person I'm going to prove myself right. So I graduated from high school, got into school, uh, sat around freshman year, just kind of taking it all in, uh, living like college life, having fun, and then uh, upon freshman year, it was like that first semester, I had like a 2-2 GPA. I was like, okay, hold on. I'm like, I've come to college to actually do something with my life and be productive. And so I'm getting a 2-2. This is absolutely ridiculous. And so when I realized to myself this is absolutely ridiculous, I said, I'm about to apply myself for my journey to a 3.0. Now, really, I didn't go into too much detail about high school because, I mean, high school was pretty much, I went, I was there, I was a student, I recreated, had fun, <laughs> didn't have fun, and then high school was over. So it was a pretty normal high school experience, you know, besides like crazy people and crazy things. There was nothing too major. Most of my uh, educational journey is after I left high school because I didn't really do anything until I got to college. <clears throat> and so after looking at that, not knowing what my major was, 
get accepted in the school on conditional admittance. You're doing well on SAT. And people are like, what? Like, what are you doing? I'm like, yeah, I can, you know, I can read and do stuff all the time. I just didn't care. And so I think that lack of care attitude gave people the wrong like, impression of me. Like, oh, this dude don't know how to do anything. Or this person might be, they might not have the competency to actually do stuff. And so they use the lack of care as a guise to hide behind their intellectual disability or intellectual deficits. I'm like, I don't have a deficit, I just don't care. And so, after getting that uh, 2-2, I worked really hard to, like, again, prove myself right. And so, of course, there's pitfalls, like, um, traveling uh, back and forth to camp, like, to, uh, to places on campus not knowing the like map like I was so confused when I first got to school just not knowing where stuff was I would show up in class like 10 minutes late like, and someone pulled me aside and I'm like dude you know you're losing points by showing up 10 minutes late every day and I'm like oh and I've always been a person on time but I would literally wake up <clears throat> have to look at the map figure out you're here and then try to figure out where I'm going to go next and so when I sat down, I'm like, man, I don't know if I need to be, like, be here doing this. I'm like, maybe I should, like, wake up 10 minutes earlier. And so, like, as I got, you know, got over that and went more into my freshman year, I think that I got to experience and see a lot of stuff. And so I, I met Braylon. <clears throat> I met your name, but I met Braylon first. And I think that Braylon, he, he showed me something that I never really thought about. I've always been the type of person that works in a silo. So I didn't, I never mind being alone, didn't care about working with people. I was like, I'm going to do my thing. And I think Braylon really <clears throat> helped me understand that, you know, you're not going to make it out if you're trying to work by yourself and do it alone and work in a silo. Later, you know, he's always right anyway. But later I found out that Braylon ended up being right because I definitely needed them in order to get through college. And so really, and I mean, it'll probably come up a little bit later in the podcast. That's why I'm not going to talk about it now. But literally, I uh, I saw how as I became more of a person that was team-oriented, I got to see how my life started to change. And so college made me a more team person than an I person. And I think that that selfishness that I had was just because I was so used to doing everything by myself and alone. It wasn't that I couldn't work with people. It's just I wasn't accustomed to working with people and throughout this process. Like education, school got me to learn how to actually work with people and find people you can trust that's going to actually work. So I think I think that is a sufficient answer to what your man was asking, and I hopefully we get to learn more about like some of the things that we did while we were in college. All right, we're gonna get to that. And in the meantime, I'm gonna tell my story of high school and college pipeline. My story is completely different than Keenan and Braylon's. Like I always say, we'll, we'll talk success rates here in a, in a few anyway. Um, out of three of us, I had the highest GPA in high school. Um, but I had the lowest test scores. And I had the lowest GPA in college, which I got about a 2.9 in college. Braylon was flirting around 3.4, 3.5, and Keenan flirted around 3.2. So, like, um, I just wasn't, and, and I was looking at a, a statement today that says, oh, you have a discipline because you brush your teeth every day, you tie your shoes every day, so you have the discipline to get up, go to work, tie your shoes, brush your teeth, it kind of goes back to what Keenan says about the lack of, um, <clears throat> the lack of 
motivation that was built with college because it took me about all four years of college to realize that this college was not high school. Um, and Keenan works in high school right now, and he'll tell you a little bit more about that experience. And Ben Davis was a great high school. Ben Davis taught me a lot. I feel like the one thing that I was failed at at Ben Davis was to adapt to the college classroom. I feel like Ben Davis did everything else for me except that. Um, I did take AP and honors classes, but like, and they tried. Like, there was one class that I took that had a syllabus in it that you had to follow that we knew what we were doing for the whole semester, but that didn't do much for me when it came to college and professors had their own agendas. It was learning It was learning how to learn on the professor's agenda, and I didn't adjust to that well, and I still, as a PhD student, don't adjust to that well at all. Um, but in high school, I wouldn't say I was popular, I was known. Um, people in a good way, though. People, I mean, sort of. I mean, people didn't hang around me, but everyone knew me in high school. I mean, I was on, for a little while, I was on the morning announcements, I was on the TV, I was on the sports for a little while, um, but I wasn't known for playing sports, I mean, except for sitting on the bench, so it's interesting how things went out, because out of the three of us, I was the most prepared for college, out of the three of us, but I was on a different survival mode than the two of them, I had to work on social skills when I first got to college, Ken barely didn't have to work on social skills, I'm not only learning adjust to the college experience academically I'm learning how to adjust to life socially. Now I'm not going to get into why I do lack those social skills because I don't want people getting upset with me. We can have that conversation in private on exactly why I didn't have the social skills I needed for college but um, I feel like having the social skills is very important which leads to my next question um, like what was one or two things that you did in college that allowed you succeed that was a defining experience and is there a role model who helps you pave the way so talk about experiences and potential role models so Brandon what was some experiences that you dealt with good or bad that helped shape you towards the graduation path the time that, you know, I, I knew of my grandmother as being someone other than just this, um, this person that I just knew to love because she had my mother and all the memories, you know, my aunts and uncles who eventually had children as well, but <clears throat> nevertheless, like, my, my mother, like, she was the baby of four, um, she ended up having two children, matter of fact. All of my grandmother's children had at least two children. And, like, growing up with my mom, I barely had the opportunity to see her. Like, from late elementary until, like, high school. She worked first shift. She had to be at work by, like, 5.30 in the morning. 
goes to work, like I'm still sleeping before like middle school or high school. Um, and by the time she got off, she would come home, she would eat, um, take a shower, and then she would be in the bed. Uh, and something that like I don't mention a lot, my mother suffered from depression. So she could tell me and my sister that she loved us, but she didn't know how to show it. distant like my middle school and high school years in terms of like showing affection and wanting to be around me and my sister um she would be away like even on Saturdays if she had to work um she would you know be away and of course me being a young kid like just like mom is working but as I got older to understand like my mother was going through something mentally that she wasn't comfortable coping with her coping methods was staying away, but from what I learned from her, like even early on, like I tell people all the time, at one point in time, I thought I was going to be a damn professional dishwasher. I was washing dishes since I've been in the second, third grade, washing my own clothes. And she instilled me and my sister, um, you know, make sure every day, like, you, you make sure your bed is made up. When you come home from school, like, first order of duty is to make sure that. Um, I think that one of the things that taught me the most was just not having stuff. Um, there was times in school and I was broke and I didn't have a place to stay really. I didn't have anything to eat. Shit, we know about that one. And, uh, yeah, I think that that taught me a lot. Me personally, I never really 
Like, I don't have any, like, very, like, in-depth things that really made me who I, like, made me just, like, learn stuff. I've always been kind of a person that I did stuff at my own leisure. And I think once I, uh, once I went without for an extended amount of time or once I experienced stuff, I was able to really just hone in and think about, okay, you might not always have something, but if you know where you're going, that's only temporary. And so thinking about like only things being temporary allowed me to really just push through every experience that I had. Like, oh, I'm in pain right now. Okay, pain temporary. Oh, don't know this right now. Only temporary. Oh, got an F on this, D on this, C on this. No, it's only temporary. Shake back and then come back and do something. I think two of my biggest role models is my dad. My dad's a big role model to me. I mean, being Father's Day. Um, I just, like, Braylon watched his grandmother. I watched my dad go to work my entire life. He go to work. He come home. He be with his family. He raises kids. He invests and in sow into his kids. He sow into his wife. He laugh. He teach. He discipline. And then he go back to work. So it's like... My father's a very routine person. I'm very routine. I wake up early every day. I think that's one of the things that I've learned. No matter what time I go to sleep, I found out if I'm one of the first people to get up, that means I'm the first person to start accomplishing my goals. Now, it doesn't matter. Now, those goals might be trash. I might be up to nothing. Like, hey, I'm going to get up and I'm going to play video games for the first, like, three hours of the day. But I've woken up at 6 o'clock already. 5.30, get up, I've already had my fun and did my thing, and then I'm able to relax, and so I think the one dis- I think the one thing I could do well, or I would say my one superpower is getting up before people, and if I get up before people, then that just means I have more time to work on stuff, because I had, I read a book when I was in like high school, and I can't remember the name of it, it was Catcher in a Rye, and like I hated, I absolutely hated the book, and I hated the main character. Holden Caulfield. Well, and I was reading about it, I'm like, this person kind of did stuff however they wanted to do, and they just basically just lived. And I could embody that and identify with that because I simply just lived. And I think, like, me just having the opportunity to just kind of, like, experience things, because I'm only the type of person I learn through experiences. I can't, it's hard for me to tell me, like, oh, man, this is like this, and then me have to, like, look at it and then try to go through it. I have to just experience it because I'm not really good with secondhand information. But yeah, like having like being without, living in black, uh, watching the discipline from my dad, watching the discipline from my grandmother. She was very systematic as well. My mother's mother. She would like, wake up, read the Bible, then cooking, like iron clothes, have food ready, ready to go. And so like she did it all the time. I think that's part of the reason why I wake up. It's just a morning routine to keep me, uh, I don't know, to keep me disciplined to make sure that at least I uh, do what I need to do. And also one of the things I had learned was I'm not a person that is, uh, can make a schedule. Like I'm not a schedule person. I can't map out every minute of my life. I'm too, not disorganized, I'm too spontaneous for that. And so I learned that I'm the type of person that in order to not be anxious, I have to make checklists. And so I'm one of those people that you know, I have, I'll write down everything I need to do for the day and then I just go check it off and then I realize that ironically I've done everything I need to do in like one day in like four hours or three hours and literally I have nothing to do with the rest of my time and so ironically that's the biggest thing where it's like 
I don't know where I learned to make checklists from. I think one day I was in high school and I was typing term paper and I was trying to graduate and I was trying to do stuff for track. And I just like, yo, I need to write stuff down. I don't know how it happened, but it, 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 it became a very organic process. Write it down. I actually put a, like an actual box next to it and check the box off. Checking that box actually provided me with like this form of structure that allowed me to ultimately be successful. Like when I wasn't fooling around and procrastinating in school, whenever it was time to actually work, I'm like, okay, I've been procrastinating for three days and this is doing a day and a half. Let me make a checklist so then I can check off all these boxes. And it just helped reduce anxiety. I think those are good tips that's been shared. I'm going to share mine real quick. But before I share mine, um, I actually want to talk about the, the struggle that we had in college. Um, the major struggle, we're celebrating eight years of it. Um, Braylon just graduated college. Um, he was working on this internship where he was working 80 hours a week, pretty much. Crazy, right? <laughs> Um, Keenan and I both were removed from a summer. We were we weren't intelligent the summer the first summer we decided and granted we did it by choice. Um, we decided to walk a total of about three point five to four miles a day to our jobs. My job was much closer than Keenan's. Keenan was at least a two mile walk. And none of you know. None of us had cars at this point. I mean, Braylon had a car, but um, that shit did not work. And, and I and bought and a lemon. <laughs> and, um, like I feel like an ass, but yeah, I bought a lemon and it sat in front of my crib. With a damn towel in the window because my window wouldn't roll up. So that's for another story. Uh, Go ahead, Trey. But um, we walked to our jobs. Um, so then we both got different jobs the following summer. So Keenan did the smart thing and stayed in someone's bedroom. And initially was staying on someone's couch, but ended up staying in someone's bedroom. He actually invited us over and showed us the room that he was staying in. I was like, what's all this stuff? He's like, it's somebody else's stuff. <laughs> was that the house that you and BJ lived in? But Keenan was Keenan was the only person getting paid to work that summer because I worked this job at the computer lab and I got fired because Damn, I was late. I was late and I'm a person that I try to be timely, but nine times out of ten I'm late. Like I'm the type of person that needs like um, if I need to be there at eight, I need to be there at seven forty-five type thing that mindset. Otherwise, I'm going to probably be late. Um, I know to be on time for important things like interviews and like important meetings and stuff like that. I generally try to be on time to everything. This job wasn't one of those things that I tried to be on time for. I was purposely late. And then there was a whistleblowing situation that occurred where I started roasting people on Facebook, which is why I don't really talk much on Facebook anymore because I was roasting people on Facebook and said something about my supervisor and someone um, told on me um, that I worked with, um, which is why I strictly now keep, like, work at work, you know, my dating life, my dating life, my family with my family, and my personal life with my personal life. I keep all those things separated because, you know, you don't know what people's intentions are. And the day before, and the day I got fired, the person who snitched on me told me, oh, you better watch what you put on Facebook. I didn't think nothing of it. I'm in this office. First things first. 
like the phone was, you know, the, the phone, the Chronos was, the recording was gone. So I'm like, oh, what happened? Like, we need to meet with you. You know, the supervisor was like, yeah, you're fired. He's like, you're not only fired because you're late all the damn time, but you're fired because, you know, you said these comments and she like pointed them out and I deleted the post, but like she, it was printed out on paper and I was like, well, I'm going to go watch this World Cup now. <laughs> Um, I still had a side hustle going on, so I was making a little bit of income, you know, so that the Boys and Girls Club getting a little side hustle on, but, um, thing is, is that, that summer became very hard because I had about $175 to last me a month. I didn't have to pay rent or anything because I lived in the dorms, but we were broke. Like, every week I was, you know, I got a little little griddle thing, and I was making peanut butter jelly sandwiches, egg sandwiches. Mm. I I got this bag, this five pound bag, a uh, five pound bag of fish sticks for ninety nine cents. Um, I Where lived on that for a while, from? man. IKEA, <laughs> the worst grocery store. IGA or IGA, whatever that place is called. <laughs> um, IGA, IGA. I got blue hamburger meat there. Right? <laughs> I was like, that place is terrible. That's why it closed. Um, I walked all the way to Locust Street. Um, but there's three major stories that led to that summer. One of them, they're not going to like. One day, they brought homies. This is popular restaurant in Terre Haute. They brought homies by, and they're just sitting and eating in my face. I'm just like, man, I want some food. <laughs> this is when they got paid. I'm not sure how Braylon got paid because he worked for free. <laughs> his car because that summer Keenan uh, bought his car because he worked so hard. Oh, I got it for free. Uh, I knew uh, Lamar that worked up there. Yeah. They, they would hook me up, man. They knew I was struggling. So, hey. shout out to homies in Terre Haute, man. They have great food. To this day, I still ain't had homies. You never had it? No, I, I took never you up there it. in my car, man. Nah, man. Yeah, I didn't eat. <laughs> so I didn't have my money. <laughs> my point is, is that I was sad that day. And Brandon's like, you want some alcohol? Make you feel better? I'm like, bro, I'm not even 21. <laughs> He's like, no, nah, no, nah, don't worry about it. Just don't drink it outside of here. I'm like, all right. He's like, everyone's wonders to see me drunk because I don't drink very much. But, um, I mean, like I said, if you go to weddings and stuff, you, you'll see it. But um, So that was the first thing. That part is more personal for me than for them. The second time, now, my, my brother Braylon, he does not eat pork. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, man. <laughs> he does not eat pork. This brother right here ate a pork hot dog. I had to. <laughs> we were that broke and poor oh, that he had to eat a pork hot dog. <laughs> they couldn't pay me with, with money for my internship. So after time. camp was over, they're like, yo, we got like three pounds of hot dogs that we were going to throw away. Like, do you want them? Like, I had to make an executive decision. I had no groceries except some freezer burnt chicken. Which leads to the next story. Please, let me tell this one, man. Go ahead, King. Go oh, ahead, King. Oh, man. So, and yeah, maybe she might listen to it. So, hello, Crystal. What's up? I'll tell you to fast forward to this part so you can hear it. But um, my friend Krista, she's a, just one of the kindest people in the world. She had gave us some chicken. 
She's like, I don't have much. But she didn't have anything either. But she's like, here, take this chicken. And so I let it on thaw, and I remember cooking it. I was like, okay. They went, and they were like playing 2K. It was hot. They had no AC. No AC. And I was sitting in the kitchen with a George Foreman girl sweating my life away. And I remember, uh, well, I'm a fast forward and go back. So the chicken was freezer burnt. Had I known what I know now, I would have found a way to boil the chicken, to boil the ransomness out the chicken, and then cook it. It might have been a little bit rubbery. I would have to cook it kind of hard in order for it to not be rubbery. But I didn't know that then like I know now. Now I'm going to rewind and go back. So we're sitting there. I didn't eat that day. I was like, so I, I bit a piece of the chicken. I'm like, this chicken tastes like trash. Absolute garbage. And I remember, and then I know they're probably going to chime in. I'm like, ain't nothing wrong with this chicken. Put some ketchup on it. Put some hot sauce on it. Yeah, it's something. And the man. dude ate the chicken. I was like, I'm going to go home. I'm, I'm going to be home tonight. I just went and filled up a whole a big cup with a whole bunch of sink water. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I decided to just drink it till my stomach started hurting. <laughs> and, you know, I will say, like, I was looking good that summer. I was walking everywhere. Shit, we all did, I was man. looking real good. I was skinny. I was looking nice. Uh, I got a lot of compliments on my tan. Because <laughs> I was in the sun. I remember I had a, a black pair of Nikes, Nike shocks, and I walked in them every, I walked you know, everywhere. And I was, I was coming home, I was like, the day I bought my car, and the bottom of the shoe fell off. Damn. And so I was like, I guess it must be time to buy a car, because I didn't wore out all the miles on my shoe. And so that's when I think about that and eating that freezer burned chicken. We're eating the hot dogs. He like, he Man. just threw them in the freezer. They ate the bag wasn't even closed enough. That was just so icy good. hot dogs. They just boiled them in water. That was so fucked. I mean, I was so messed up, man. About I, I literally hadn't had pork since I was like 16 years old. So at this point in time, I think I was what 21. You're 22. 22, and like literally stayed away from pork. Like, it wasn't just a part of my. Needs. Um, but I was that damn hungry. Like, it was either eat or like have sleep for dinner. And, and a lot of nights it was sleep for dinner, but I I had to do what I had to do, man, to, to literally make it through make it through that summer. And it was hot dogs every day for about a month and a half. chicken for 99 cents Walmart <laughs> came in and got leg quarters another day I'm like y'all go ahead and cook all this I don't know what to do with a whole chicken I mean I knew what to do with a whole chicken but now I don't know grill that's all we have is a grill I'm not sure if the oven worked or not I don't think it did it's too hot we never use that oven <laughs> we just use I have no head up <laughs> we're at Brother's house the whole time and it, you know, his roommate at the time was on, you know, had a torn ACL, so he wasn't. Yeah, Sid couldn't do much. He wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> he was only hopping around, man. Sid was out of commission. He was out of commission, so we were kind of on our own. Um, but I think that with that experience, like I was at Rive Center, you know, Boys and Girls Club getting food and. Asking people for money, like <laughs> I, I just didn't know. I had to make a hundred and seventy-five dollars stretch the whole summer and pay fifty-dollar cell phone bills and stuff. So like, it was hard, you know. I mean, 
thought about turning my phone off, but then I was like, I can't communicate with people. If I knew what I knew then, I would have um, been like, all right, hit me up on WhatsApp or something like that. I never had WhatsApp. Bro, I don't know either. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I'll answer the question real quick about the influence now that we told that story. Um, so, like, within education, I mean, there's a lot of people. If you count my brother, you know, Stefan Heiser, rest in peace, um, Sherman Water, Dennis Goins, Bobby Moore, Kel Walker, Floyd Bridges, like, the list goes on and on. Dennis Goins, like, a very influential people that have been in my life, but I think one person I'm going to mention as, like, a big influence it's Father's Day, so this is probably not the best <laughs> time to utilize this story, but I want to use my aunts as an example. Like, my aunts, my aunt TJJ, my aunt Cynthia, like, they were huge in constructing me, you know, from, like, the adult perspective. I mean, you know, along with my brother. Um, like, my aunt Cynthia, I mean, she was someone who always had to have tough conversations with me about stuff. Um, and it was interesting because she um, she and I didn't always see eye on everything. So we had to like get to the point to where we had to see each other's perspectives on things. So that was a big thing and, and that was a big lesson because it taught me how to disagree with people properly, which is a big skill that I needed to learn in life. JJ just teaching me those social skills like that were needed. Teaching me how to um, like have the correct dialogues with people, you know, like and everything like that. I think those were the beneficial things throughout high school and college that helped me out. But um, we're gonna, um, I mean, we're just gonna go straight through on this podcast. Um, probably no breaks today. Um, think that there might be a part two to this episode, but we'll see so far. Um, we're going to ask one more question because this podcast is going to be split up into two parts. So it'll be episode nine and episode ten. So we're going to ask one more question and then we're going to take a break till Thursday. So this part of the podcast will be aired on Tuesday and then the other part will be aired on Thursday. So stay tuned. Probably the smart thing to do would probably be wait till Thursday or wait till you get access to it to watch them all at the same time. But I feel like talking for an hour and a half is just too long consecutively um, without giving people time to um, have a break. So um, I got one more question to ask on this part, and then we're going to take a break and then finish recording, and then that episode will air on Thursday. So the last question I have for this first part is... I want y'all, and we're going to come back to things, we're going to be all over the place with this, but I want y'all to talk about what you're doing now, and how our relationship helped us, helped you get to that position. Now, you can talk about other influences, but right now I want y'all to focus on the three of us, how we bond and how we help each other through things to get to where we're at today, so um, we'll start with Keenan and then go to Dean. I think right now, I'm a high school science teacher, so teaching bio, biology on the south side of Chicago, in Inglewood, and so 
on stuff in public policy to try to help influence uh, community change. And I think that um, I'm going to go more into that, but I want to go to highlight the stuff that how this relationship, um, how our relationship helped me as a, a person develop and grow as a professional, as also as a man. But uh, yeah, um, it was pretty straightforward. You know, Braylon is like, you know, almost like an any means necessary type of person, so it kind of rubbed off on me. And I thought that uh, he was, Braylon's always been real intentional on what he does and how he says stuff and to actually like, hey, think about this, be reflective. So I, I learned a lot from Braylon's reflectiveness on how to like look at issues. And so after looking at that and, and sitting back and reflecting, it's like, okay, this isn't right, this is wrong. And then, you know, the motivation that's like, keep going, you know, keep working on this. But I'm glad that, like, I listened to him and, like, decided not to work in a silo because it's extremely hard to tackle the stuff you want to do by yourself. And I think about the part of, about Tremaine is that Tremaine is, like, he is always taking action. Might not have a, a solid plan, but action will be taken. So I had to learn how to take action because I'm a person, I'm more of a sit-back watching type of person because I feel like I'm a watcher. I'll sit back and know answers. I'll sit back and have opinions. But I'll just keep them to myself. And I'm, like, I'm just going to say them or something. And I think that, you know, them teaching me, like, dude, come on. You got to, like, say and do stuff. It made me more action-oriented. And so now, like, as I see myself and taking action and stuff, like, I don't really care about politics whatsoever. I'm not a political person. But I see stuff that's messed up. And I know that I have, I don't know, skills that can actually help, you know, alleviate some of the issues that I see, but especially like since I work at a high school, I get to see how a lot of kids just fell through the cracks, and I got to see how my journey and my trajectory allowed me to maneuver, and uh, I just take it in, I think about like all the intergenerational issues that have happened upon, you know, hundreds of years, and then hundreds of years of slavery, and then hundreds of years of this, and hundreds of years of that, how it culminates to this right now moment where people are kind of like, uh, I'm at the point in my life, or I'm at the point in the, the I don't know, the, the history of the United States where I can actually really do something, but I lack the follow-through knowledge, not because I don't want it, it's just because there's no, there has been no one there to teach it to me in a way which I can receive. And so, like, as I look at teaching and how I look at how it ebbs and flows and just being authentic how I want to stay and want to leave at the same time and ultimately making a decision that's going to be best for myself and for my own future it makes me kind of look at how to tackle systemic issues within barriers of education and so like yeah it's like when we, when we were in undergrad we you know it was, I don't think we had to like tackle too many systemic barriers besides being like you know probably like only three black dudes in the major uh, and, and Andre. And Andre. Shout out to Andre. Remember what about James Williams? Uh, that's my yeah. guy. Shout out to my brother James so, Williams. Sorry. Yeah, Maybe like seven out of like a hundred in Scott. So thinking yeah. about that, like, you know, being like Shout five to seven Scott. percent. Scott Benson. And so like in my mind, it's like, wow, like that really, it, it really helped me hone in and just kind of focus on that and utilize my skills of, having really good interpersonal communication and being able to talk to like, you know, people one-on-one, a small group of people who actually convey messages and, and get them to understand what's going 
Yeah, I'm, I'm typically not a long-winded person, but I feel like that was a really long-winded uh, explanation. It's all good. And two more shouts, shouts out before we get to B. Shouts out to Jerry Smith. Jerry. Jerry. Jerry's the homie in the major. And then shouts out to Dr. Nathan Schamleffel. Um, he, was, he, was, he, was, he was a real one. Definitely among, you know, Dr. Don Rogers, Dr. Thomas Sawyer, you know, Dr. Steve Smithley, which Dr. <laughs> Smithley and Dr. Sawyer has moved on, Dr. Sean Luffle and Dr. Rogers is still there. So those were like those influential professors within our major that, you know, were at Indiana State. B, you got an answer? Yeah, um, I would say, like, so currently right now what I do, um, I work as a facilitator or a professor, whichever wording you want to utilize uh, for a first-year uh, seminar course at college in Boston. Uh, I'll be starting that in the fall, but I do that alongside with uh, working as a residence hall director. Um, for those who don't know, it's similar to uh, what Sinbad did in a different world. So uh, I basically... Basically, uh, supervise all facets of a residence hall, starting from um, security, where I welcome desk assistants. I have 23 of those. Um, I have eight resident assistants who live in on the floors, um, and they do a number of things that I won't name off right now because they wear so many hats. And I also have two office assistants um, who, in my absence, take phone calls, set up of the residents that live in my building, about 265, 270 students can say that they enjoy staying in uh, the place that I operated. But what I will say as far as like what my friends bring to the table, Keenan and Tremaine, they're like my go-tos. Um, and I'll give two brief stories on that. First of which, I was 21 years old when I learned how to tie a tie. If I was 21, then how old were you, Tremaine? get it, but yeah, Jermaine taught me 
as like a father figure. I looked at my cousins, but you know they were in the streets. They didn't wear ties. You know what I'm saying? But Tremaine taught me how to tie a tie. Um, again, like they're they're my go-to's. Like when I have things that I need to run over, like run through. Like I, I want their expertise because they've literally been a part of my life the last nine years. And for Keenan, Keenan is very uh, even killed. Um, he has a good perspective on things. Um, he ultimately wants the best for me and Tremaine. So I know that his answer will be extremely sound and very logical. Um, Tremaine does a great job of looking at things from like every angle at least two times. Like if I need something that needs to be done or if I'm going through something that needs a outside perspective, Tremaine will provide that. It'll be extremely honest. It may not be what you want to hear, but Tremaine will provide that to you. And ultimately, it is essentially what I would say. Uh, what I would say is, is this what I need to hear? And I love them both for that because they've been very instrumental in my life. Um, believe it or not, both Tremaine and Keenan, at one point in time, like we all worked together. Um, if I'm honest to say, they were both like two of my like student workers working in a, a position um, as undergrads, um, and then fast forward to like 2013, from them being like student workers underneath me, they motivated me and convinced me to go to graduate school. Um, if it weren't for them, I wouldn't have gone to graduate school. I had no idea what I was going to do with my life. I ran to a roadblock where I ended up hurting myself. I didn't know what my next move would be. And they were like, yo, why don't you try graduate school? And here we are, 2019. But I graduated 2015 with my master's um, in higher ed with an emphasis in student affairs. Um, but they definitely motivated me, and they continue to motivate me. Like now, Tremaine's getting his PhD. Um, Keenan will be applying for his PhD alongside with his fiance, applying for her PhD next year. And that motivated me. I need to kick things in gear. Uh, I want to make it to that next tier. Um, getting this uh, this additional degree will allow me to continue to prosper, have a larger scope of influence, and definitely have the academic and financial mobility that I want to have as a professional uh, at 30 years old. But by the time I graduate, yeah, I know I'll be about 34, 37, 35. But again, like they are.
sure can. I'm going to get into what I'm going to say real quick before we transition. Um, we're always going to run over on time, um, but it's always good dialogue and good conversation um, before we go to the second part, which will be more implementing more of what we're doing now and more of graduate school. But um, I want to talk about the influence they both had. Like I said, the first thing is, is the, like the social skill development. not anyone's fault, I mean, I struggled with social skills throughout my entire life, um, it's part of the reason why I live where I live at now, um, in Utah, because, I mean, I feel like a lot of people's social skills are on the delay there, where if we're in the, you know, Midwest, like, everyone's on top of the whole social skills department, um, I wouldn't consider myself as a socially awkward person. So consider myself as a sometimes socially unaware person, and I think that's different because once I'm aware, I'm on point with whatever the social situation is. It's just a delay, and I think in Utah's mixture of social awkwardness and lack of social awareness, which social aware lack of social awareness is not a bad thing. It's not. say that like, I've been intellectually challenged more in Utah than I've ever been in my entire life. Um, it just depends on the circumstances, but yeah, Braylon and Keenan were big on, you know, the whole intellect thing. They're also big on the whole common thing, because at times I can have a short fuse, but the thing about a short fuse is, is that a short fuse is a short fuse. I'll be upset with something about 10-15 minutes, and I hardly ever dwell on it. Moments, so really helping me keep that fuse shorter than 15 minutes. Maybe that fuse is 30 seconds. Um, I mean, everyone has a fuse at some point, it's human, but minimizing it from like 10 minutes to 10 seconds is an efficient skill, something that they've worked with me with throughout time, and I'm in therapy dealing with that as well. Um, Keenan, in particular. They said, yeah, of course, Happy Father's Day said, but shout out to Said because um, Said, and this is a funny story about Said, and we actually talked about the last time that we were there. This is the year after Braylon graduated. Said was graduating from college, so he had to leave the team. We didn't win a game. We didn't win a game those first five or six games before Christmas. Mm. We came back. We won like a five-game winning streak with me and Kenan leading the team. 
I didn't came down to one thing, and I was like, Dad, why are you yelling at those kids all the time? <laughs> <laughs> Me and Kenan didn't yell at those kids, but I think that might have been the difference, or our schedule got soft or whatever, but that's always something I want to give a set of hard time on, like, Ted, why are you always yelling at those kids? Like, Ted was, was a great basketball coach and everything. We were all teaching the same stuff. It's just Ted was yelling at them kids. And it was funny, too, because no one had an issue with it, you know? It, no one had an issue with it because it wasn't like he was like, oh, you're stupid. No, he was just motivating, you know? Like, he was beat what coaches normally do. It's just me and Keenan didn't yell while we were t- trying to coach. Um, I only yelled in games, which we can get to in a different podcast. But, um, like, the support that they've given me throughout time... Counseling on like particular situations and teaching me like life skills and you know coping skills and stuff were key for both of them. But we're gonna go ahead and take a little bit of a break. We're gonna be back episode 10 Thursday. Um here on Sports and Life with Tremaine. Like thank Keenan and Braylon. We will be back. So bear with us for a couple days or a couple moments, depending on how you listen to this. This has been Sports and Life with Tremaine. Keeping it real.